We are in week number three of a series that we're in called Dear Church, and we're looking at these seven letters that we find in Revelation that Jesus wrote to these seven different churches, and we're asking the question, how does that impact our church, and how does it impact us as a body of people who, Jesus said, you, you are the body, you are the church, the ecclesia, the gathering, and so hopefully it's encouraged you and it's helped you to grow. Let me just let you know right up front today that uh, this is a letter that Jesus kind of gets into our face a little bit. He, he's willing and happy to step on our toes a little bit and maybe point out some things in our lives that have maybe moved a little bit away. And so there is the opportunity this morning for you to kind of like, Ugh, I don't know about all of that, but my prayer has been this week as we've been digging into this and studying it, that the Spirit would just open up your heart to hear not necessarily what I say, because who cares what I say, but that the Spirit would speak to you exactly what God wants you to hear. I think a lot of people's story, certainly my story at different times and seasons, and maybe your story today, and maybe your story at different seasons in your life, is that there are things that we believe. And if somebody asked you, you know, do you believe in Jesus and all these different things, you would say, yes, absolutely. The things that we talk about at at, at church, I believe that. And when we celebrate the resurrection at Easter, I believe that. And when you're in a couple months, when we celebrate Christmas, I believe that. So it's not a, a belief issue, but there are other parts of my life that I kind of, I want those other things to take the forefront. Or there, the, yeah, there are some things that I believe, but I try to keep it under wraps because I don't want it to get in the way of the rest of the, my life. And there's a certain way that I want to live, and there's a certain way I want to uh, pursue life. And sometimes Jesus gets in the way of that, and so sometimes there's that tension and there's that wrestling. We all have the temptation to carp compartmentalize, and that's going to be a hard word for me to say today, compartmentalize our faith, that we have our faith and we have our belief, and we're not even kind of uh, falling away from that. I, there are some things that I believe, but that's kind of my Sunday, 10:15 to 11:15. that's kind of my faith life, but then when I get into the rest of my life, there's no real interaction. Those two things are important to me, but they're disconnected. I'm not going to stop believing in Jesus, but I just kind of, when it's not Jesus time, I just let those things move to the background. And the problem with compartmentalized faith is that it becomes really easy to leave and it's easy to resist. That when we compartmentalize our faith, when faith is just, yeah, I, I, I do the faith thing and I believe the faith thing, but that's really Sunday mornings and maybe Wednesday night if I went to a Bible study, or that's, that's just that part of my life, but the rest of it, well, when tensions comes and when life struggles comes, a compartmentalized faith becomes really easy to leave. If it becomes inconvenient for me, then I will, I'll just kind of leave that behind because I'm in pursuit of a career, I'm in pursuit of a relationship, I'm in pursuit of what I feel like in this moment, it becomes easy to leave. And for people on the outside looking in, it becomes easy to resist because they say, you're not really living these things that you say. I mean, you go and you say the right things and you, 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 know, you believe some things, but I don't see that lived out in your life, there's a word for that, just being a hypocrite, and we've all been there. You have, I have certainly been a hypocrite in my life, that we would profess belief, but our life doesn't always match up with that, and so that faith becomes 
easy for other people on the outside to resist because they say, why would I give up my Sunday morning? I I could do some other things and it clearly hasn't impacted your life. It doesn't impact the way that you talk or you're still a jerk and you're still greedy and you're still, and so why would I bother? It's just not part of my life that we call Jesus Lord on Sundays, but if we're honest, he's not really anywhere to be found on Monday and on Thursday and the rest of our life. And that's the issue that we find today in Jesus' letter to this town called Pergamum. Pergamum is the third letter that, that Jesus wrote. And they're in this tension of, I, I believe things, but there's just all these other opportunities and all these other invitations that vie for my attention. And I'm not stopping believing I just don't want that to be all-encompassing. I'm, I'm devoted to Jesus when I need to be, but I'm devoted to what I want the rest of the time. And so we're gonna look at that today because Jesus has some, actually some strong words for people like me that do that and maybe people like you because we have a lot in common with the church in Pergamon. So if you wanna follow along this morning, we're gonna be in Revelation chapter two, Probably you've got a heading if you have a printed Bible or if you have it on your phone, letter to the church in Pergamum, and we're in verse number 12. We're going to read it. You're going to hear some things in there. Think, what in the world are they talking about? But remember, if you haven't been here for this series, this is apocryphal literature. Apocryphal literature is a revealing literature, and they use names and symbols and these word pictures to help describe something else. And so Revelation chapter 2, if you have it on your phone, if you have it on a printed Bible, you can read along on the screen if you want to. But here is what John, through Jesus, writes. To the angel of the church in Pergamum write, these are the words of him who has a sharp double-edged sword. I know where you live, where Satan has his throne. Yet you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was put to death in your city where Satan lives. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. There are some among you who hold to the teachings of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin, so that they ate food sacrificed to idols and committed sexual immorality. Likewise, you also have those who hold to the teachings of the Nicolaitans. Repent, therefore. Otherwise, I will soon come to you and fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give that person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. Let's pray this morning. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. I'm praying that you would open up our hearts, that we would hear not what I say, but we would hear what you say, that we would learn and that we would grow and that ultimately we would be changed to become closer in likeness of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So Pergamum is a fascinating city and you should later on, uh, you should Google ancient city of Pergamum, because there is fascinating information. You can see some of the ruins today. It's not a made-up place. It's a real town. Even people that do not take the Bible seriously and do not believe the biblical accounts, they believe that there was a city named Pergamum. They believe that there was all these things we're going to talk about in 
Pergamum, but it was built on this huge, what we would call an Acropolis. It was about a thousand feet up from the valley below. And Pergamum was famous for all of the temples that it had. People would come from far and wide to worship at all of these different temples that Pergamum had. For example, there was the temple of Athena. And Athena was the goddess of wisdom. And so she was kind of like the self-help section of religion. If you needed wisdom, if you were having a difficult decision, if you just weren't sure what to go, you could go to Pergamum, you could go to the temple of Athena, and you could pray, man, could you help me find some wisdom? There was the temple of Dionysus. Dionysus was this god of fertility and the god of pleasure. And so if you wanted to have a one-night stand or if you had a sexual fantasy that you could go and that could be fulfilled, you could stop feeling lonely even for an evening, anything that you could possibly imagine, temple prostitutes, children, where there are things that we can't even fathom were available to people at the temple of Dionysus. There was the temple of Eclepsis, or there's different ways to say that. This is an unbelievable one. You should, you should look this up later. This was the God of healing. And one of the things that they would do, there was all these different rituals and different things that you could have done to you at this temple, but one of them was that they believed, for whatever reason, in, you know, there, there wasn't the medical advancement that we have now, and there wasn't the hospitals that we have now, and so if there was something that was ailing you, if you were sick or even mentally broken or whatever, you could go to Asclepsis, and you could have the priest, they would, they would let you sleep there for the night, and they believed in the healing power of snakes, and so they had these dozens and dozens and dozens of snakes there, and they would release the snakes in the evening, and you would hope that a snake would crawl over you while you were sleeping, and in their mind, it would provide some healing for them. I'm thinking about trying that, uh, just to see how that would go uh, in, in church growth strategy. That's not one I've tried, uh, but I'm considering it, so let me know what you think uh, about that. You know, we can't, again, we can't fathom it, but for them, they just thought, yes, if I could get a snake to touch me, that is gonna be the thing. Let me tell you, your boy, if a snake touches your boy, uh, you're going to see a Kyle-shaped hole in whatever wall is nearest because your boy doesn't play with snakes. I'm not interested, uh, but this was a temple that you could go to and you could play with some snakes if you wanted to. There was the temple of Zeus. Zeus was kind of the OG Greek god. When you heard me read this, uh, the throne of Satan, some theologians were not exactly sure what that was, some theologians believe that this is what he was talking about because, again, you should Google it later. The temple of Zeus was kind of made to look like this giant throne, and so that may be very well what John was referring to when it said where Satan has his throne. Again, Zeus was this god of war and this just kind of the OG Greek god. You can see the ruins of that. You could go and you could worship Zeus and you could get power and you could get influence. And finally, there was and the, temp the temple to the Roman Caesar, that Pergamum was famous for emperor worship, that the, whoever was the emperor of Rome at the time, they considered themselves a god, and Pergamum considered themselves them a god. And so you would go, you, you didn't have to go to all of these other temples, but if you were going to Pergamum, you had to stop in at the temple of Caesar to pay homage to Rome and to worship the god 
of Caesar. And so it's in that background where there's this little church where there's all these people that worship this and worship that, and depending on how I feel the day, maybe I'll go to the temple of Zeus, or maybe I'll go to the temple of Dionysus, or maybe I'll go to the temple of whatever it was. And so it's in that context that Jesus writes to this little church, I, I know where you live. And it's not a threatening, I know where you live. It's this, I get it. You live in a really challenging environment. You live in a place, I know what this city is like, and I know how tempting it would be to worship Jesus on Sunday, but then on Monday go to all of these other temples and sprinkle some incense and do all the different things. I know where you live. You can try to find some hope, or you could find to find some healing, or you could find power, or you could find connection. You live in a place that would be easy to compartmentalize your faith, and we're there, we live there. We live in the place where it would be so easy and so tempting, and we've all fallen victim to it. I just compartmentalize my faith. I, I do believe some things, but I also wander to some other temples. I wander to the temple of money, and I wander to the temple of influence, and I wander to the temple of what do people think about me. And so Jesus says, I know where you, you live. And here, here's the thing that we have to remember is that if it's true that we have a spiritual enemy, and if it's true that your spiritual enemy's desire is to steal and to kill and to destroy from you, he does that in these really, really kind of sneaky ways. The devil's purpose is not necessarily to get you to stop believing what you believe. That, that he's too smart for that. He knows that you're not gonna leave here and suddenly become a Satanist. That's not reality. He, he knows that, man, you're, you're probably not gonna stop believing some things. And so Satan doesn't care if you believe in Jesus. He just doesn't want you devoted to Jesus. And there is a huge difference between the two. It's because like the church in Pergamum, we can believe we're just not always devoted. The, yeah, I believe in Jesus, but if I'm honest, I, I look to other idols as well. I look to what else can fulfill my needs and what else can I find in my life that kind of accompanies Jesus in my life. And that's where John is writing to. He's writing to this church that, yeah, you're being faithful and, and you are staying true to my name, but the problem that I have is that you're also not devoted. There's a belief, but there's not a devotion. And Peter, when he was preaching not very long after Jesus had been resurrected, he would say kind of the cornerstone of the Christian faith and orthodoxy is Christian is that salvation is found in no one else. No one else. There's no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we can be saved, and, and especially in our modern world, and certainly in, in this world, I mean, it seems so exclusive, and it seems so narrow-minded, but what the gospel that Peter preached and what we are invited into is actually the most inclusive 
opportunity that, that no matter who you are and no matter what type of life you have lived and no matter what your financial status is and no matter if you've had a great background or an ugly background or things have gone well or it hasn't gone well or if you've been addicted and then got clean and then got addicted and then got clean or if you've just lived this perfectly wrinkle-free life, you are invited, I am invited to become in relationship with Jesus the Christ, that there are no barriers put between me and Jesus. And so it is exclusive in the sense of Jesus is the way to God, but it's inclusive in the sense of you're invited. And there's nothing that can hold you back, and there's nothing that can keep you away. There's nothing in your past, there's nothing in your present that can keep you away from God. And in the Roman world, in Pergamum and in these other letters, they would think of the Christians as atheists. Because they say, you, you don't believe in Zeus, and you don't believe in Dionysus, and you don't believe in all of these other things. You're only believing in, in one God. And so they stood true to that. And so John writes, I, I get it. I know where you, you live, where Satan has his throne, or, or where Satan has this opportunity to, to dangle all these different invitations. That Yeah, there, there's a belief, but I want you to be not just in a belief, but I want you to be devoted. You Remain true to my name, and you did not renounce your faith in me. He's saying, you're doing a great job. They're, they're, they, as you live in this pluralistic society, as you live in this society that says, yes, believe in Jesus, but also come and worship at this temple, and yes, believe in Jesus, but also bow your knee to Caesar, and yes, believe in Jesus, but if you have a sexual need or a sexual fantasy, come to Dionysus. He said, I get it. I know where you're at, and, and you're doing a, a pretty good job staying true. But then he goes on. There's, there's a few. And remember, he's talking, and this is so important. He's talking to people that are inside of the church. It's easy for, especially if you've been a church person, quote, unquote, for a long time, it's easy for us to look from the inside out and point to what other people out there are not doing right and point to how bad you're living, and you shouldn't, and you should. But John has nothing to say about the people that are outside of the church. He is talking to the people that say, you have expressed and you have announced a devotion to Jesus Christ. And so what the people outside do, that's between me and them. That's not for you to judge and for you to point. I'm talking to the people in the pews, in the chairs, who have said, I am placing my faith in Jesus, and it's easy. We get caught in the temptation as people that believe in Jesus to think that we're in pretty good shape and then to point how bad people are on the outside, but we do not find that in the New Testament. In the New Testament, the, the Apostle Paul and Jesus and Peter and John says, hey, you don't have to worry about out there. You look inside. You look at you. Paul would say it this way, that what business is it of mine to judge the outsiders? I should be judging the insiders. I should be judging those who have expressed a salvation and a saving knowledge in Jesus. And so John writes to these people, not out there. He writes to people inside, and he says, I've got some things against you. There are some among you, and, and we'll get to what these names mean here in just a second, there's some among you who hold to the teachings of, of Balaam who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin so that they ate food sacrificed to idols and 
committed sexual immorality. So immorality. And so if, if you're not familiar, it's kind of this obscure story in the Old Testament. You can read it later for yourself. It's actually kind of hilarious, and there's some, some kind of crazy stories there. But Balaam, you can read his story if you want to later on. Numbers chapter 22 through Numbers chapter 24. And Balaam was this prophet, and Balak was a king. And Balak wanted Balaam to curse the Israelites because the Israelites were going to come and, and take over Balak's homeland. And so Balak hired Balaam and says, hey, come and I want you to curse the Israelites for me. And so Balaam came and God refused to let Balaam curse the Israelites. Every time Balaam opened his mouth, he blessed them, he blessed them, he blessed them. And so in exactly like our, our society today, he says, well, I can't curse them, and so here's what you should do. And so Balaam and Balak kind of got together, and he said, I want you to introduce some other gods, and I want you to introduce some other things to the Israelites. Don't get them to stop believing in God. Just get them to add some things along to it. This Balaam and the Nicolaitans, it's, it's just a name. They mean the same thing. They just mean to, to lead people. And again, Balaam didn't lead Israel away from God. He just introduced some things along with God. And there is the tension. And the church in Pergamum, like our church, listen, you don't have to deny your faith. You don't have to stop believing. You don't have to become a Satanist. You don't have to become an atheist. Just add these other things as well. Believe and do these other things too. Just put God in a box and have your God box and be devoted to the God box Sunday morning, 10.15 to 11.15 and open up that box, but then close the lid on that box and go live your own life. Likewise, you have also, you have also those who hold to the teachings of the Nicolaitans. We're not exactly sure who the Nicolaitans are, but the name again just means to, to lead people, and so the assumption is it's the same thing. Just, just come over here and just try some of these things. It says, hey, repent, otherwise I'll soon come to you and fight against them with the sword of my mouth. And so we find ourselves, there's in this society, and I think in our society, probably three main things, there's more and we'll talk about them in a second, there's probably three main things that we are invited to, and, and we have to be careful that we don't believe in Jesus, but devote our lives to other things. There was, in Pergamum, there was Caesar, and you had to, if you were going to be on the in crowd, and if you were going to be part of society, you had to go to the temple of Caesar and bow your knee and say, Caesar is Lord. And so there was this temptation for political loyalty. And we have that in our world today, that we have been open to saying, yes, I believe in Jesus, but my passion and my loyalty is to my political ideology and to both sides of the aisle and people inside of the church. We're not worried about the people outside of the church. The people inside of the church have become religiously devoted to politics and to candidates on both sides of the aisle. The problem is, just like the church in Pergamum, is that devotion to something other than God, there's a name for that, and that's idolatry. 
is that when we don't deny our faith, but we just add some things to our faith, Jesus said, I hold that against you. Because believing is not the be all end all, it is devotion. And the church has been tempted, and sometimes we've fallen into the temptation to say, I think a political leader or a political party or a political ideology, that's going to be the thing. That's going to be the one that solves all the problems. And Jesus comes along and says, no, I'm the, I'm the solution. I'm the be-all and the end-all. And so, yes, we should have and be involved in and have opinions about politics and about what happens in our world. He's not saying that. He's just saying it should not grow to the place of I'm devoted to it. That when they are in competition with each other, that is what becomes idolatry is that Jesus is the one who can save, not my political party of choice. Jesus is the one who can redeem, not if these laws or if this thing gets inducted. It's Jesus and only Jesus. And so we have to be careful that we inside of here, I'm not gonna, yes, I'm gonna be involved in politics. I'm just not gonna be devoted to it. And yes, I want to be active in what I think is right, but when there is the tension between Jesus and my political ideology, I'm not gonna go the way of the church in Pergamum that says Jesus and. I'm gonna be devoted to Jesus at the cost of other things. Not devoted to other things at the cost of Jesus. And then there was the social acceptance, and we have that. We, we, we don't realize it today. He talks about food sacrificed to idols, which is so foreign to us, we, we don't understand what that means at all. But all of these temples, you would have animal sacrifices, and you would, there was two ways to, do, to deal with the meat from those animal sacrifices. Some of the meat was sold in the marketplace, and for Christians, that was totally fine. You could buy that meat. It wasn't a big deal. But other parts of this meat would be used for these parties and for these social gatherings. And part of these social gatherings with this meat that was sacrificed to idols was in honor and to pay homage to that idol that it was sacrificed. Again, you could Google it yourself. They have found invitations to these parties that would be sent out. And it was like our birthday parties or our wedding showers or our celebrations. They would have those, but they would add to that this meat that had been sacrificed in honor of Dionysus or in honor of these other gods. And by participating in that sacrifice, you were giving honor to these gods. And so John is writing to this church that says, man, hey, you've been devoted to Jesus on Sunday and at worship, but you're, you're participating in these other things. And it wasn't just about the meat. I mean, it, there was a social aspect to it. It was, I want to be accepted by other people. I, I, I'd go to the temple and I'd celebrate with friends and I'd just be part of the group and be part of the celebration. Yeah, I went to church on Sunday, but the rest of the week I'm with the temple crowds doing the temple thing at the temple parties, and we find ourselves there. We find ourselves being, I, I just want to be accepted, and in my desire to be accepted, maybe I, I drink too much, or if I'm honest, when I'm around this group of people, I become kind of a, a different person, or when I'm around this group of people, I engage in the gossip, 
and I engage in tearing people down, and oh, I'm, I'm, I'm there at church on Sunday, and I, I sing the songs, but then around the water cooler on Monday, I, I put the Jesus box away, and I kind of invite what is socially accepted. And I'll go back to Jesus Sunday morning at 10.15, and we compartmentalize. And we, not because again, my belief in Jesus has not changed, I just, I wanna have some friends. I wanna, I wanna be in the group. I wanna know what's going on. I wanna be part of what's happening. And there's that temptation that we get pulled into. So there's the political pressure and there's the social acceptance and then there's sexual freedom. The, the church in Pergamum and the people of Pergamum had this ideology and had this, this phrase, it's, it's your body, do what you want with it. Sleep with whomever you want, change partners as often as you want. But Jesus believed, Jesus believed that the human body was sacred and that sex was sacred and it was a gift that God has given to his people. Tim Keller, a, a pastor, said it this way about the, the sexual freedom and, and how things worked in ancient Rome. And he said it this way, the early church was strikingly different from the culture around it in this way. A pagan gave nobody their money and practically gave everybody their body. And the Christians came along and gave practically nobody their body. And they gave practically everybody their money. And some in the church in Pergamum, like some in churches today, have compartmentalized our view of sex, that it is God's gift to people in the context of marriage. And Jesus says, You've, you've moved away from that. That I, I can love Jesus on Sunday, but I can do whatever I want with my body the rest of the week. And Jesus says, no, because it's devotion. It's not just about belief, it's about devotion. And the church, let's just be honest, I mean, the church has really lost our moral ground on this because every week, I mean, literally last night, I read about another well-known minister who got involved sexually with some people and used his spiritual authority to sexually abuse people. And so the idea that the church would point at other people outside is laughable because we've lost authority. People that were supposed to be leaders and people that were supposed to be people that stood up for sexuality and sexual truth were on the side doing exactly the opposite of what they preached. And so the apostle Paul in Corinthians, he said it this way, your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. Remember how great the temple of Zeus was? It's nothing in compared to your body. Remember how wonderful the temple of Dionysus was and how beautifully it was constructed? It's nothing compared to your body. And you are the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you. You have received from God. You are not your own. It's not just, it's my body, I'm gonna do with it whatever I want. No, you, are, you were bought with a price and therefore honor God with your bodies, honor God. Don't just believe in him, be devoted to him. And there is such a difference. And we, me, I'm front in line, can get caught in the temptation of saying, Jesus here and now, and what I want then and later. And when Jesus looks at people like that, he has a word for us, repent. Repent. 
that if you find yourself in the market of devotion to other things other than Jesus, you should turn around. You should change. I should change. I should recognize what is true, and I should make a change. I shouldn't necessarily just feel bad about it. And yeah, I really should. But no, I stop doing some things. I make a change. I change the way that I think. I change the way that I talk. I change the interactions that I have. I repent, therefore. Otherwise, listen, if you don't, I'll soon come to you and fight against them with the sword of my mouth. And again, it's, it's, it's imagery that we don't fully comprehend, but if you go back to chapter one, Jesus introduces himself with a, a sword in his mouth. And when we talk about swords in the New Testament, it always is referring to the word of God. The word of God. The word of God is as sharp as a two-edged sword that it cuts to the quick. And two-edged sword in this context, we believe, it's truth on one side, and grace on the other, is that you need and I need God's truth in our life. If we are going to be devoted to Jesus, you need and I need God's truth in our lives. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. What is Jesus saying to me? I don't wanna just plug my ears and say, no, 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 I don't want to hear this. I just want to sing the songs and I just want to go to church and I want to go. No, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches, to the ones that victorious. I'll give some of the hidden man. I'll also give some of the person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. And so again, there's this truth and there's this grace and Jesus invites us before anything else, hear the truth. And the truth is, Peter would say it this way, uh, but just as he who called you is holy, here's truth in our life. Be holy in all you do, in my sexuality, in my political loyalty, in my desire for social acceptance. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. And so Jesus calls us to something higher. He calls us to more than just church attendance. He calls us to more than just belief. He calls us to devotion. And sometimes that is a hard truth to hear. And it can almost be painful because there are things that I have to change and move away from and do differently but Jesus calls us to something higher and to something more. William Barclay, a great theologian, says it this way, the man who is not prepared to be different need not start on the Christian way at all. Is that Christianity is a call to be different. It's a call to be set apart, to be in the world but not of the world, to be a part of the world, but in that world be a light, not somebody that just picks up my feet and goes along with the flow. And we're all tempted, I'm tempted. I'm all, we're all tempted to, to, with things that compete with our devotion to Jesus. That there is, there is something, let's be honest, in your life right now, there's almost certainly something that's trying to force its way into your life. Not so that you become a Satanist, not so that you stop believing in Jesus, just so that you're not as devoted to him. Politics, 
social acceptance, sexuality. Maybe for you it's money or it's your career. I want to look the part. Let me just, let me, I'll, I'll, I'll go first. You know what mine is? You know what temple I like to visit during the week? The temple I like to visit during the week is to have a good reputation. And, I, and, I, and I'm devoted to Jesus on, on Sundays, but sometimes during the week, I, I like to go out and wander around the temple. Of, I want to have a good reputation, and I want people to like me, and I want to be accepted by people. And sometimes that competes with my devotion to Jesus, that I can step away from my devotion to Jesus so that I can step into the temple of, do people like me? Am I accepted here? Do people have a good, do I have a good reputation? And so the truth that Kyle needs to hear is that Kyle, that's not the devotion that you should be devoted to. Is that you, can't, you can't be wandering around in these temples. That temple's not for you. The temple is that you have been redeemed by Jesus and so be devoted to Jesus. You have some temples that are dangling their fruit in your life. And you have something that is saying, no, don't stop believing in Jesus. Believe in Jesus, absolutely, but believe in these other things as well. Bow your knee to Jesus when it's convenient, but bow your knee to these other things as well. And so there's that truth. But here's the, the other side of that I'm so grateful for it is, is grace is that Jesus cuts and he reveals, but he doesn't cut and reveal to wound and to maim. He cuts and reveals so that we can be healed, so that we can make progress, so that we can move into what he's called us to move into. In the word of Christ, there is an invitation to God. It convicts, there's that truth. It convicts a man of sin, and then here's grace. It invites him to come back to the love of God. There's grace. That grace cuts just as deep as truth. It is the spirit that enables us to live differently. It's the spirit that enables us to move in a different direction. It is the spirit that convicts us, I need to repent. And then it's the grace that says, Jesus has never left and never forsaken. Let me finish up. I need to be done for the day. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the spirit says to the churches. To the one who's victorious, I'll give some of the hidden manna. Here's what this is. They, they, they knew this. You've heard about this maybe from the Exodus story. Manna is just God's provision. That if you take a stand, that if you say, I'm going to be devoted to Jesus at the cost of other things, I might miss out on some things, but that God is going to provide. That's God's promise. That if there are things that you miss out on because of your devotion to Jesus, there is provision from God for you. To the ones who are victorious, I'll give some of the hidden man. I'll also give that person a white stone. There's about 10 different things, and you can read some commentaries if you want. There's about 10 things that this white stone could mean. We're not exactly sure, but here's one of them, the one that I thought was just so wonderful. That in this day and age, when you were on trial, the way that they would convict or give you innocent is they would either give you a black stone, and you would be convicted and sent off to prison or to torture or whatever, that if they found you innocent, they would hand you a, a white stone declaring your innocence. Some people think that's exactly what they're talking about too, that, that as I come to Jesus, the truth of, man, I, I need to change, but I'm given this grace and I'm given this acceptance that I can come to the Father and I can receive help and I can receive love and I can receive forgiveness. And so here's the question that you should wrestle with as we close today. Is the one that you believe in the same one you're devoted to. Is the one, because I, I know 
you probably believe in Jesus. I know that you probably believe what we celebrate at Easter. But that is not the same as being devoted. There is a big chasm between the two. Is the one that you believe in the same one that you're vote, devoted to? Not, not just do you believe in Jesus, but do you trust only in Jesus? And would you be willing, like I need to be willing, to stop visiting these other temples? To be willing to say, I'm going to bow my knee to the temple only of Jesus Christ. That I'm gonna get rid of the compartments. I'm gonna take Jesus out of the box and my life is gonna be hidden with God in Christ. Not just when it's convenient, but even when it costs me. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your word that is truth to us and convicts us and points out things in our life that are not what you've called us to do and not who you've called us to be. And so, Lord, I'm praying that wherever this landed, here in the room, watching online, Lord, I'm praying that we would be open to your sword of truth to open up our heart and to allow you to reveal areas of our life where we have believed in you but also been devoted to other things at the same time. Lord, many of us are guilty of the sin of idolatry. We, we, we don't have shrines at our house, but we oftentimes go to these temples and bow our knees. And so, Lord, we need your conviction, and we need our hearts to be open to those facts. And, Lord, I'm so grateful for the other side of the sword of grace that you have invited us to come back to you, that we don't have to earn our way there or hope our way there. We can trust our way to you. And so, Lord, help us to do with this word what we need to do. Help us to make the changes that we need to make, knowing that your hidden manna, your provision is available to us. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.